Hi, my name is Roshan Langani. Welcome to Financial Independence with Roshan and Adrian. Thanks for joining us. This is our uh, fourth episode, and we're here to help you achieve your financial independence. Uh, we break down various books this season, our, our first season. We're going through Your Money and Your Life, Your Money or Your Life, excuse me, by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. We're going to break down chapter four today, and the title of the chapter is uh, How Much is Enough to Quest for Happiness? I'm here with Adrian. Adrian, say hello. Hey, Rosh, I'm excited again to be part of your podcast, and it's going to be a great time. It will, it will. I'll dive right into the to the fourth chapter, which uh, as we get as we're getting started, I absolutely love this one. I know the uh, uh, the second and third chapter. I was questioning whether people can can do it. I think the content's great. It's just can people actually do it? I love this chapter though. How about you? It's funny because this was my least favorite chapter. I kind of wish it focused more on the personal finance side. To me, this seemed more of a motivational chapter, kind of pushing people to break over the boundaries. So I, I kind of found it a little cheesier. I'm not surprised. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'm not surprised, though, because I think uh, uh, what I like about our perspectives being different is uh, – we're at different ages and different stages of our of our life, and I think that has an impact uh, on how we feel about it. So I'll start with the first section and uh, a little bit of background. This this uh, chapter it says how much is enough in the quest for happiness. I used to teach a class uh, called the science uh, called actually it was called Happiness Hour. It was uh, for seniors, and uh, it's all, it was all about the science of happiness. So I think that's probably why I like this as well. Uh, the couple questions they had on there on my notes was first, what makes you come alive? Uh, was one question. And then what will you do with the life you've been given? Which I totally thought was interesting and getting people focused on what they want. But I bet that's what you thought was uh, a little cheesy. Yeah, I definitely agree with the aspect of I think the author is really trying to get people to see what they've been given, seeing the cards that they've been dealt with and trying to become more of that and not being so contained in uh, maybe the social class that they're born in or the type of environment that they're in, trying to push maybe the readers or the listener to really push yourself to do more and really to reflect. Because again, this book touches on evaluating what you're spending your money on, what you're spending your life energy on and deciding, looking in the mirror, are you happy with that? And if you're not, it's a good time to make a change or try something new or push yourself to spend more of your life energy on other places to ultimately achieve what everybody wants is happiness. I think that's a great synopsis of it. I, I agree. That's what they're, that's what they're going for. What I'd add to it though, is a lot of people, I think, uh, lose their dreams. And I think that's some of what society does. Another point from the chapter that I love that they said, it says debt is, uh, debt for many has been a great dream destroyer. So what I'm picturing is somebody coming out of college thinking they're going to, you know, take over the world and do one thing, uh, or actually an example that they get. Somebody's out of school and decides they want to write the great American novel. They get a job out of college because that's what you're supposed to do. And, but their job isn't about writing the great American novel. It's writing, um, I think her example was marketing brochure content, copy for marketing brochure. Then they 
continue working, make a little bit more money, buy a house, buy a car, have a big mortgage, have a car payment, and they can never get back to writing the great American novel. They then think, well, I can never do this because I have all these debts, which is where the debt becoming the great uh, dream destroyer comes up. I, th- I think that is a great point, and I think that's something that uh, I I don't have any data on it, but I would guess the majority of people in the United States have this issue where they have debt or responsibilities that makes them think they can't chase their dream or it's not possible or they can't afford to do it. Going off that, I I agree that debt is a big obstacle that is always in front of your dreams. And it seems like you have to have the perspective of are you just going to back away from it? Are you actually going to go for it? Are you just going to, like in the beginning, just go with, with the cards you're dealt with? Or are you going to make that change ultimately? And that is something that almost everyone faces, and especially uh, college students. It's, it's definitely huge. But you have to highlight, I think, a good time, your strengths and weaknesses to see how you'll best handle your debt. Maybe you might come up with a new strategy to deal with it or keep uh, you know, an expert to help you out or your close uh, network of friends. It's just, to never be something, you should never let anything get in the way of your dreams, whether it's debt or a problem or any type of situation or your work, that you always have to evaluate the situation that you're given and, and do the best you can. Agree, although I think um, you know, student debt's such a hot topic right now uh, in, the, in the United States, politically what's going on also. Uh, I'd almost put that in a different category, though. It, it, in Well, yes and no. Debt's debt, right? Debt and big payments can be a dream destroyer. But what I think of here is more consumer debt, right? whether it's credit cards, whether it's buying, uh, buying a car that's a nice car that you want to have, but you don't need that kind of thing, debt that you don't necessarily need. Now, student debt, the reason I say that's an interesting one is um, my niece is going to college. Uh, she's starting her freshman year in the fall, and I remember looking at schools with her, and I was looking at the cost of tuition versus the average salary a uh, a grad makes. And there were many schools where you know the tuition was three times as much as another school, and the college grad gets the same income. So not it's only two very simple data points, but uh, but uh, the point that I want to make with it is. Part of college that can definitely be wasteful, right? If you're if you're going to uh, pay a lot more to go to school A versus school B, and at the end you're going to end up with the same income, uh, maybe it wasn't worth it. Once again, college that being tough, valuing the experience, the education, and so on, you just can't quantify a lot of that in numbers. Now, go ahead. You also believe it's also uh, a motivational factor that's not coming to play where. If you're going to college, and like you say, you're going to go to college where you're going to accumulate a lot of debt, and some people are going to be faced with a lot of debt going out of college, but still they're not motivated when it comes to their classes or they're selling with jobs below their skill set out of college, and they, they're not really, the debt's not really a motivating factor for them to really push themselves to get the best job out of college, ace all their classes, expand their network constantly. Because that is obviously a big obstacle, a big tough thing for college students. But 
It could also be something very motivational to kick it into high gear. And I also like the example that they gave in this chapter where there was a recent uh, college student who was living at home and one day he just had a, his mindset just completely changed where he's like, I'm going to make a million dollars in the first five years. And he just was extremely motivated. He uh, kept uh, on to his plan constantly and did that within five years. And after that, he had that realization like, wow, if I could do this, I can go for more. I, I, I can do a lot more than my original mindset. Yeah. And I think that's a perspective thing, right? For some people, the glass is half full, for others, half empty. I sure there are people that it can be a motivating factor for having having that that when i first started in financial services um there was uh there was somebody that would say always buy a, ni- a nice car because you'll make enough and build your practice fast enough to pay for it now i didn't go down that path and i wouldn't necessarily recommend it but that's an example for him having that big car payment was the motivation yeah, that's a, that's a great story. I mean, it's definitely a big motivator when um, you have to actually throw yourself in the deep end and get out. Yes, yeah, you've got you've to gotta find a way. Um, so the section they have then to, to tee this all up uh, is they have you first reflect on your dream, uh, reflect on your dreams. What did you want to be when you grow up? What have you always wanted to do that you haven't done yet? Uh, what have you done in your life that you're really proud of? If you knew you were going to die within a year, how would you spend that year? What brings you the most fulfillment and how is that related to money? And if you didn't have to work for a living, what would you do with your time? And then they suggest revisiting your answers uh, frequently. Now, it would take us an hour at least to go through all of it with the two of us. Did any of those questions stand out for you or any responses you have that um, with any of those questions? So this is, again, where I kind of had a little bit of a disconnect with the chapter. It, basically, what I got from this is the author just highlighting, like, tell yourself, like, what are your dreams? And then evaluate the lifestyle that you have. And what do you really want to do? Say in a year from now, you're, you're going to be dead. How would you, like, react differently? And I kind of, again, that's where I thought it was, uh, it didn't really connect well with me because obviously if, if we all know that we have like a year to do everything that we want, we make a lot of big changes in our life. That's not realistic because some people are in relationships, some people have families, and sometimes you have to make certain sacrifices where you have to maybe put your dream aside or you just can't be so spontaneous all of a sudden. You kind of have to kind of evaluate the situation you're in and see the best route you can possibly get to maybe achieve your dreams. It's not so cut and dry, you wake up one day, you're like, wow, I need to make changes constantly. I just need to be a whole new person, be very sporadic. That's where I kind of, you know, fell a little bit back from that where as you get older, you know, you have a lot more responsibilities that are really hard sometimes for you to just completely just dump it and go. Yes, and that's the argument of, of this. I think the question of what would, if you were to die within a year, I think that's probably more to guide you into a, to a direction as opposed to just dropping everything. Um, because I, like you said, that's not, that's not realistic. Um, but some of these other things I think are, are, are almost goal setting. So you can figure out what you want to do, like what you're really proud of would essentially be what you should, the answer to that would be what you should do more of. Uh, what have you always wanted that you haven't done yet? That's just coming up with a list of things you want to accomplish. So I, um, 
I do find these questions to be useful, but uh, you're having an issue with this chapter that I think I had with the previous one, which is execution. You know, so, so like in the sense that if you decided, hey, I would do X, Y, and Z if I only had, if, if I were going to die within a year, but you're not. So you can't do all those, all those things. Um, you can't just drop everything. Now, here's where I think it comes together. It says align your earning and spending with your values, aspirations, purpose, and happiness. It will turn making a dying into making a living. So this is where I think it starts to connect. Uh, if you're spending a lot of your money and even a lot of your time on things that don't line up, then why, why are you doing it? I remember seeing someone speak once who was uh, uh, an attorney when he retired. He decided to join a, a board of a nonprofit, I believe it was. I think it was actually multiple boards because that's what all of his attorney friends were doing. Uh, and he realized he hated it. You know, that, that's totally, uh, that's misaligning yourself with what you want to do. And that, that's what I think they're trying to do. So I'll go on to this. They have, uh, this is the heart of the chapter. It's, it's, the section is three questions that will transform your life. Did I see, receive fulfillment, satisfaction, and value in proportion to the life energy I spent? Now, once again, the life energy concept is they have you look at what your real earning is per hour and then how you're spending your money on things per hour. So if you make $10 an hour and you're spending $80 on magazines, is the example they used last time, then eight hours of your life is going to pay for magazines. Is it worth it? And so that's where this question is, is, uh, is starting where you, um, you don't, you want to make sure you're spending your life energy, which you're, which is also essentially your, your money is generated through your life energy in ways that, that you want to. What I did like about this um, is they said you may not, uh, you may have been too much of a penny pincher in certain categories. So I like that there, this was just a brief sentence, but it's not necessarily just an exercise in cutting back. It's more of an analysis of where you're spending your time and your money. And maybe you're spending too much of either in a place you don't want to and you're shortchanging yourself in, in other areas. So I, I did like, uh, did like that. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's kind of like a, a call to action where it's not like the author doesn't want to like get on you and say, Oh, you need to reevaluate your life because you need to see where you're spending your, your life energy because you're, you're making a dying where you should be using that life energy to fulfill your, your hopes and dreams so it's definitely like a big call to action and everyone has only a finite amount of like energy for for them to use and it's definitely important to like constantly analyze that on a case-by-case basis but it's also uh, a factor that i think they often haven't touched on and i'm kind of hoping they touch on later in the book is you spend a lot of life energy on these like categories where it's like food clothing transportation and all these different categories. But I found it interesting that they didn't really include like individuals such as family, friends, uh, a wife, a relationship that you're into. Because I think that's honestly a really important area where people do spend a lot of their life energy and it's uh, very important. And it's uh, definitely a big aspect that I 
that I um, hope that they may be addressed or that we could probably dive into later on. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that they didn't touch, uh, touch on that. that. That's a big, a big part, but we will, we will see that in, in upcoming chapters. Um, in general, with this question, I think they're really focusing on having internal versus external drivers. So they talk about an example, external fulfillment is like getting an A on a test or winning trophies for some competition, whereas internal fulfillment is meeting your desires and needs. And they say the same thing with financial integrity, making financial choices without external forces. If you buy something, it's because you want it, not because you've been convinced to get it, whether it's by an ad or trying to keep up with, uh, with friends, neighbors. It's because you want it. So having integrity for what fulfills you and where you spend your money. I, I definitely agree with that point, but wouldn't you agree where you focus on too many external solutions and focusing like on your wants, where you need to really focus on the balance where are you spending a lot of life, uh, your life energy on external solutions? Will you be spending a lot of your life energy on stuff that will benefit you like internally? Because I saw this uh, one article that I thought was very interesting where people will struggle to, you know, spend $100 on, like, uh, clothing or something when they could spend, like, $100 to attend a seminar that can help boost their uh, uh, their skill set and their career field. I think it's definitely something really interesting where you focus maybe on too many external materialistic stuff and not really focus on the internal stuff that will definitely, definitely benefit you and help you achieve your genes in the longer run. Agree with that. The counter, though, is what if that person doesn't want to uh, uh, study that seminar? Like, I, It's tough to pick the words for it because I don't want to say what if that person doesn't want to make themselves better, but if they're content, they're con that's the whole point You get your, of this, I think, is you, you find what's enough for you. So using that example, maybe for that person where they are is enough. So it's better that they spend it on something besides, I think you said clothing versus the, versus the seminar. I, that's what makes this and a lot, almost all of the personal finance stuff so interesting. It's just unique to everybody. And that's, I, and I think you hit on exactly what this is going for using your example. Uh, the one person might achieve, uh, or, uh, get fulfillment and satisfaction from buying that shirt, whereas the next person uh, wouldn't, and they would get that fulfillment and satisfaction from the seminar. So it's a very uh, personal question. Section two, it says, is the expend, or I'm sorry, question two, is this expenditure of life energy in alignment with my values and life purpose? And the last chapter talked about this as well, being in alignment with your, with your goals. Uh, they break this down into what are your values, which are principles and qualities that matter to you. What is your purpose and overarching goal uh, that embodies your values and your dreams? So you essentially need to start with your values to figure out your purpose and then and then find it. And it's big making sure that when you go over like your budget and seeing where you're spending your life energy, you might find out that you're spending a lot of your life energy. On, not even on your own values or your own standards of why you live by. So that's definitely could be pretty uh, shocking or awakening to some people where they think they're this type of way, they have these certain types of values. But when you look at their 
income statement or their budget, their their money and their life energy is going to something completely different. Where I I like this part of the chapter because it's trying to help you align your money, your life energy with who you are as a person. Yes, and and even beyond money, like I if you if someone tells me, hey, I value working hard, but it's the laziest person I know, then either they're lying to me about their values or they're not living in alignment with their values, right? So I think it goes, it goes, it definitely goes into money because the whole concept of this is, are you spending your money um, on what it is? And they say how we spend our time and our money speaks volumes about who we are and what we stand for. So if someone says, I'm all about giving back to, to, the, to the community and, char- and charity, but they don't spend their time or their money giving back, are, is that really who they are? Uh, finding your purpose, I thought was an interesting one because, uh, I think you'll, in general, I think a lot of people struggle with this. And I, I'm not a millennial myself, but I hear that that's a common struggle for millennials as well. The biggest thing for millennials is they want to make an impact as quickly as possible, as soon as possible, and sometimes maybe the, the easiest way possible. And, some people might consider that like a, a negative thing, but it's having big ambitions and always wanting to make an impact wherever you are or no matter how small it is, is definitely an, an underlying force that, you know, myself as a millennial definitely agree with. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult too when you're faced with obstacles like debt or struggling to even uh, move out like a, you know, a family member's house or just constantly begin yourself in the career field that you want and you have all these ambitions and have all these values and it's not happening at the time you want it's definitely a difficult but again if you can just always create a strategy a budget and always plan or seek help through your network or through an expert your ambitions can become reality and you become a lot more motivated and you will see that coming together in your life uh, with what you just mentioned with getting that purpose, I really like their quote, uh, uh, the Victor Frankl quote they used under measuring our movement toward purpose. The will to have meaning and purpose in life is superior to the will to have power or the will to find pleasure. So you know, they, they, they will frequently say uh, pleasure or pain are what drives people. And he's saying, well, it's not that, it's meaning and purpose. I thought that was a good one. Also, this section had the purpose questionnaire. Did you actually go through that? I, I did. And the, the questionnaire was very extreme. And I liked some of the, uh, I liked the little data points that they give. And I was more on like the higher scale where it shows that I, I kind of understand what my purpose are and what my values are. And I, I, I have it pretty much uh, planned out already. And I, I kind of, obviously uh, agreed with that. Uh, what about you, Roshan? I did, and I, I ended up, I, I have my total score, which was 120, which was in the purposeful range. Uh, these tests are always interesting because I don't think I would ever give myself the highest score on anything. I feel like there's room for improvement. So, uh, but I was, I was uh, happy with the, with the outcome there. Um, the last question they have uh, of the three questions. So the first one was, uh, did I receive fulfillment, satisfaction, and value in proportion to the life energy spent? The second question is, is this expenditure 
of life energy in alignment with my values and purpose. The third one is how might this expenditure change if I didn't have to work for money? This is one I get the point, but I did have a little bit of issue with. They were saying that if you calculate what you're doing, uh, work, what your cost of work is, if you weren't working, there might be stuff you're spending money on you wouldn't. And I, like they, they use an example of doing stuff around the house. And so, um, in certain instances, I'd rather pay someone else to do certain things around the house and go to work than do it, do it myself. But, um, expenditures would change if I was, if I was, uh, was not working. They do, they do have a point there for, I think for everybody. Uh, for me, I, I guess it would just, I focus more on my hobbies and my, my network. If I'm, you know, taking a lot of time off of work and I have to like cut back a lot more, I just have to really up what I already do is just constantly play sports, hang out with my, my friends and family, but really try and upgrade that to another level where I'm, I guess, having deeper discussions with my, my friends and family, um, you know, playing more sports every day constantly. And this is this, this definitely was an interesting topic that they brought up. I, I agree. It it uh, it was that uh, the chapter. And then we have the money talk questions. Uh, the first one: What did you want to be when you grew up, and what and what about now? Uh, this I, was, go ahead. For for me, as most uh, boys growing up at playing sports, I just wanted to be like a football basketball player but over time I, it kind of just taught me I just like just being in a competitive environment so that's why when I, I around the time I came to college I thought being in the financial service industry would kind of give me that same thrill I, I get from playing sports and I could still say that I kind of am a basketball player football player because I play a lot of clubs and like with my friends constantly not honestly on a bigger scale than I thought as a kid but it's definitely uh, the competitive environment is something that I always constantly wanted to be in growing up. Yeah, I think this is the extreme um, example of of the sort of not the point of the chapter for, for me in the sense that I think they're trying to get you to reconnect with dreams. But I at one point wanted to play basketball and then I didn't grow beyond you know, five, five. I claimed five eight and uh, and. Uh, my shot was never good enough, good enough either. So I don't think I can reconnect with that one. I like the next one, which is what's on your bucket list, the things you want to do before you die. Does anything stand out for you as something you, you really want to do? Uh, never really considered actually making a bucket list, but obviously just like the most basic one as a, as a millennial would just be to travel the world constantly because I've never technically been outside of the United States because I've only been to Puerto Rico, which is technically a territory, so I want to honestly just broaden my horizons a lot more. Yeah, you've got plenty of time. You don't need to be worried about uh, worried about this list. Although it doesn't hurt to come up with come up with something. There are some more great questions on here in this in this uh, in this chapter. We will post the post the notes so everyone can look at it, or you, know, you can always get uh, get this book. But we'll post the notes so we read it for you uh, and share our thoughts. So. Anything standing out, uh, Adrian, in the last week, personally, in the news, anything like that? Um, I came actually across a, a really interesting um, article. It was um, an interviewer who actually interviewed Shaquille O'Neal, who actually just recently got advice from 
Jeff Bezos on how to expand his net worth, how to be successful and have a very diverse lifestyle. And he, he quoted Shaq in his own words saying, it's not about how much money you make. The question is, are you educated enough to keep it? And as of today, he's a joint owner of over 155 Five Guys Burger restaurants, 17 Auntie Anne's pretzel restaurants, 150 car washes, 40 24-hour fitness centers, a, so- a shopping center, a movie theater, and several Las Vegas nightclubs. It's, it's basically saying that you can make a lot of money, but if you're not constantly educated, looking out for the best strategies, seeking expert advice, knowing that there's always something that you can learn, I thought was very interesting, just being as diverse. Like we touched on in our uh, first podcast, where we talked about Jay-Z having uh, different streaming revenues. It's definitely big. Yeah, I think that's exactly. Shaq did. Uh, I, I've seen something similar before. And I love that quote, uh, essentially about being educated enough, uh, to know what to do with the money. And then you hear, um, a lot of times it's not about what you make. It's, it's about what, you, what you keep that matters. So I, that's a, that's a really good one. I think that fits in well with, uh, with this book. Uh, the other thing I was just looking, looking online and I saw Forbes list of the, uh, highest uh the world's highest paid celebrities can you guess adrian in 2019 who is the highest paid celebrity the highest paid celebrity is it an athlete can you give me a hint uh it's not an athlete it's not an athlete yeah is an actor a musician a musician um i would have to guess then adele beyonce Taylor Swift, it said $185 million. I'm, I'm not surprised because uh, she actually just recently lost the number one ranking of having most Instagram followers. Oh, wow. So I guess that kind of plays hand in hand nowadays where people that have a lot of Instagram followers are technically the biggest influencers in our society, which in turn means they generate a lot of money. That's not, that's, uh, they're the biggest influencers. And not, you know, I think that's another generational thing. I have Instagram. I do check it probably once a week, but uh, I don't. I don't follow Taylor Swift on Instagram. Though. It's it's big though. Influencers are definitely one of like the biggest components around the millennial generation. It it is definitely huge. Where you have a lot of followers and a bunch of companies, a bunch of people, a bunch of sponsors. Everything will come out to you to promote your product. And you have to be very knowledgeable now if you are an influencer, knowing that whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you promote, there will be a select group of people, a group of people that will just go along with whatever you say, especially the a millennial generation where they're constantly on social media, constantly looking at what's trending, what's fun, what can I do to have the best, coolest content now. And sometimes it can be dangerous, sometimes it can be extremely helpful, but the power of influencers is definitely very big nowadays and definitely has a, a lot bigger impact than it did in uh, other generations where other generations, you know, their influencers were politicians or musicians or constantly, but a new influencer can just pop out of nowhere at any time, any day with, you know, the craziest and coolest idea and it can influence your, your friends or family or even your children without you even knowing sometimes. Yeah, that that's the part that the uh, I I'm aware that that they have a big impact. When you had said 
her, that essentially her follower base could be why that she has, or at least a part of why she had the highest earnings. It makes sense uh, to a degree. Number two is Kylie Jenner, who I imagine is around her numbers, uh, Taylor Swift's numbers for followers too. Yeah, definitely. And again, she was uh, smart not only to create like her own like makeup line, we're also uh, dating right now. I'm not sure if they're married. Another popular artist, Travis Scott. Again, it's just people are just creating powerhouses right now. Powerhouse groups like in the NBA kind of feels like. Yeah, um, I, you said Travis Scott. He was he's number 39 on this list with 58 million. Yeah, combining net worth is definitely huge. And it's not even on celebrity level nowadays. People consider it as like an actual means of you know just expanding their network and just promoting products when, you know, sometimes you have to take on a relationship standpoint because that's honestly the most important thing at the end of the day. I guess. And this isn't their net worth, by the way. This is just how much they made uh, for world highest paid celebrity. This is income. Oh, so wow. her net worth is going to be a lot, a lot bigger than that. Um, anything that you have to add, Adrian? Um, that, that's a pretty much uh, all I have, but these were definitely some, uh, I was, we kind of skipped on you though. I was really wanted to hear what's on your bucket list. Bucket list. I, I don't know. I, I, I would, I guess I would say travel is part of it, but at the same time, I've learned I hate airport travel. I hate, I hate carrying bags. I hate, uh, um, dealing with security. So what, what I need to do is get on this Forbes list so I can fly private and have someone else carry my stuff. But that's pretty much the opposite of everything in this book that we're discussing. If there was a, a place, like, if you just had to pack up and leave with your family and leave the United States and move to a new place if you travel the world, where would it be a place where you could consider yourself living? Actually, I haven't seen enough. I've been, I originally being from India, yeah, I would love to go back and visit there. Another place I haven't been that's a state is Hawaii. I've seen pictures of the beautiful, um, uh, Fiji is is uh, another one. Uh, my staff, my wife and I talked about going to Bora Bora as an option during our honeymoon. We didn't end up going there. We went to Brazil instead. But um, so yeah, there's uh, traveling is definitely a uh, on the list. And if I could go back, if if I could just go to this one location, it's actually kind of like a dream of mine going out of college. There's one place I want to go and go jet skiing is actually Dubai. It's one of those places where I, I just want to go. And I've just seen so many uh, YouTube bloggers go there, all the like the nice cars, the boats, the shopping centers, the mansions there. It's just I would I would love to just go there for like a week or something and just check it out. It's some of the the vlogs and YouTube videos you see of Dubai and people like living their greatest life there are just incredible and jaw dropping. It it is actually I have family there, so I've been there also. Oh wow! Uh, so. When you plan your trip, I'll be, I'll have plenty of people that can help you or be tour guides or, uh, take care of you when you're over there. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, everyone that joined us today, thank you very much. Uh, we enjoyed covering chapter four and we'll be back next week with, uh, with chapter five. You can reach us on all the social media sites, which, uh, Adrian will be managing soon since I don't know how to handle half of them. But, uh, thanks again. And, uh, we hope that we're helping you.